Uh, I did not forget. I happened, uh, seem to get the Sundays that are uh, special occasions. So I would like to wish a happy Father's Day to all our fathers here. So yes, let's give them all a round. Um, we love you all. And uh, I think we can all, if we all sat around, it wouldn't take us long to share funny stories about our, our fathers. Right? There always seems to be a funny story that's attributed um, to something our fathers have done. Um, and so I'm going to share one with you. Thankfully, my father is not watching, so um, I, can, I can do this. Um, so growing up, my dad was a self-employed contractor, and th- all throughout summers I would work with him. And we worked all over the city. I'm originally from Philadelphia, so we traveled all over the place. And, of course, when you do that, you kind of come across all the little hole-in-the-wall places to eat that have really good food. Um, And so one um, particularly summer afternoon, we were coming back from a job. Dad said, all right, let's stop to grab some food. So we stopped at this little, it was like a little lunch truck. It was a guy, all he sold was ribs. Um, So we said, let's get a rack of ribs to eat on the way home. And uh, now this place, it it was in a busy intersection, and the line to get ribs would wrap around the the block. Like, that's how good these ribs were. So we waited in line. We got to the window. Of course, Dad knew them because Dad knew everybody. Um, And so we got our rack of ribs, and we headed out. So we jump in the truck, and we're coming up. Um, I believe it was 95, I-95, and as we're driving, we're just eating as we're going, and we have the ribs open up and beside us, in between us, and we're eating, and we're putting our bones in the back in the tray, and for some odd reason, as we're eating, and we're laughing and carrying on as we're going, Dad eats a rib, and he throws the bone out the window instead of putting it in the tray. All right, whatever. Didn't think much about it. Until about two minutes later, a convertible Mercedes-Benz comes up next to us. And the guy in the driver's seat looks over at my dad as we're driving and holds up a bone in his hand. And I think that was probably the fastest we've ever gotten home um, after our work day. (laughs) Dad just punched the gas and off we went. So... um, Thankfully, the guy didn't tail us, um, but yeah, so there you go. <clears throat> On a more serious note, um, dad, dad grew up, and my dad's from Puerto Rico. Uh, my grad, dad grew up in Puerto Rico, and uh, he grew up in a family. They had 10 siblings, um, and early on, uh, dad lost his dad when he was young, and so uh, there had to be a lot of things that had to be taken care of. Um, chores, um, farm work, so forth. And so um, after a while, uh, school did not um, become much of a priority. It was how to take care of the family. And so from an an early age, um, Dad dad worked really hard. Um, In fact, Dad, um, growing up, I found out that Dad only had an eighth grade uh, education, um, but he could do math better than I could. Um, we would sit down, and I would do geometry, and he'd be able to explain to me how to do geometry. And I, I was floored. Um, but one thing was that he couldn't read very well. 
Um, and so you're probably thinking, what does this all have to do with Father's Day, and what's this have to do with our message? Um, last time I was here, I shared something about my mom and growing up and, and what that has done for me spiritually. And so today I do the same with you with my dad. Um, because he couldn't read well, um, reading and understanding the Bible was pretty difficult for dad. Um, he would not be able to communicate theological truths. He would not be able to debate about doctrinal differences. Um, but he did always know that he can return to the Scriptures to find comfort and to find uh, wisdom and encouragement. So one year for his birthday, we decided to get him a CD set. Yes, I did say CDs. CD set of the Psalms. And so all it was was someone reading the Psalms. Um, and he kept it with him in his work truck all the time. And so I remember um, growing up, as we would go to work, sometimes he would pop them in and just simply listen to the Psalms. And I think that's where my love of the Psalms came from. But one thing that he always encouraged me was to stay in church and to follow whatever it was that God wanted me to do. And that's two things that's always stuck by me. Um, Dad struggled with a lot of bouts of anxiety, and, and I honestly believe that may be where I get my bouts of anxiety. But I know and understand where I can find my comfort and where I can find my... Um, encouragement from. And so today's passage, if you have your Bibles, it's a very familiar passage. Um, It's Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. And today's message is simply just overcoming anxiety. How do we overcome anxiety? How do we overcome fear? How do we overcome worry? Um, And and just sharing with you guys some of the things that I've learned over time. I think a while back, I may have shared that I, I, like I said earlier, I struggled with struggle with anxiety, and I, I struggle oftentimes with depression. I worry, I overthink, I become anxious about things, um, probably things that nobody else would become anxious about. Um, even as we're preparing for this trip, I'm like running running through my head all the different scenarios, and I have to stop myself from time to time because I have to say, "All right, it's in God's hands." We can only do so much. Um, And so I overcomplicate things from time to time. And I think if we're honest, we all do that. We all tend to overthink and complicate things a little bit. We question the smallest things, and if there are any other things happening um, at the same time, it intensifies everything, and things begin to break down. And so over time, I've learned to combat the temptation to allow those thoughts and unnecessary situations to play out in my mind. And Scripture has been a key thing for that. Um, It's allowed me to stay grounded and refocus my attention to where it needs to be, and that's on Jesus Christ. Um, So I mentioned the Psalms were a big thing for me, a big thing for Dad. Um, And it's not the only Scriptures Um, that I enjoy um, meditating on and looking at during those times of worry and anxiety. Um, In fact, on my phone, I keep in the notepad, 
I keep a list of scriptures that I can turn to at any time um, and just read through those and meditate on those and really begin to speak to myself the truths of, of God. And today's passage is one of those passages. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25, it says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in the barns, and yet our Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so how has this passage helped me? It's a, it has allowed me to answer the question of how I can overcome worry and fear in my life. If you remember my last sermon from Colossians 1, we learned to keep in perspective that Christ is at the center of everything. Our redemption and forgiveness are possible because of the work of Christ on the cross. And so we find many times in Scripture the phrase, do not be afraid. And I'm sure we're all familiar with it. God said it to Gideon when calling to him to lead Israel in Judges. We see it said to Jeremiah when God called him to be a prophet to the nations. Christ said it to the woman at his resurrection. Philippians 4 verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything. When Adam sinned in the garden, a new word entered into his vocabulary. He said, I was afraid. Now man continually lives with fear. Fear of failure, fear of success, fear of death. Fear has become a norm because there was an absence of love. John says, perfect love drives out fear. People's relationships with God and with others are fractured. Therefore, people are constantly plagued by fears, which often inhibits our ability to love and to receive love. And so in our passage today, Matthew 6, Christ commands his disciples to not worry about their, their needs, what they will eat, what they will drink, or what they will wear. Pretty basic stuff. And previously, in the passage before that, verses 19 through 24, Christ teaches the disciples to not store up treasures on earth. Believers should not store up wealth like the rest of the world but they also should not be consumed with worry about their needs, as God will always provide. And so some might say, aren't some forms of worry healthy? Certainly, we should be concerned. Concern helps us to be diligent and prudent. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, Paul says, Apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxious concern for all the churches. 
He had a constant concern over the welfare of the churches that he, he shepherded. We should be concerned about our own spiritual lives and that of others and many other things. But we should not worry. Worry negatively affects us and is, is rooted in our lack of trust in God. <clears throat> so in this passage, Christ says to the disciples, said that his disciples had little faith. They had faith to believe God for eternal salvation, but not for their daily provision. And so worry can be sinful. Why? Because it denies the wisdom of God. It says that he doesn't know what he's doing. It denies the love of God. It says that he does not care. And it denies the power of God. It says that he isn't able to deliver us from whatever is causing us to worry. God wants us to trust his sovereign, all-wise, all-good, all-providing, all-protecting, ever-assisting care. And so we have a trust issue. He wants us to do it so deeply that death itself is not an ultimate threat. That death cannot separate us from the love of God or rob us from His joy. And so the godly opposite of anxiety is peace and contentment, rooted in the trust in God's promises. It's the same experience of Paul's in Philippians 4. He says, I have learned. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. That's the opposite of anxiety. I know how to be brought low and not be anxious about being brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. Now, hunger would mean I don't know where my next meal might come from, an abundance and need. I don't know if my needs are going to be met, met. And he's saying, I have learned a secret. I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. So that the great challenge to us all is to trust God more and more because, of all, <clears throat> because all of us are anxious. I mean, I hope you don't get stopped at hearing me say that it's sinful. And you might sit there and say, well, thank you. That's not very helpful. Um, but it is a help because it causes us to recognize those things. And the thing is, is that we're not alone. We all have that issue. We all worry sometimes. We all are anxious sometimes. And so this morning, I want us to consider six ways on how we can overcome worry and trust more in Christ. Six principles um, that we see here in Matthew chapter 6. And so the first one that we come to is to obtain victory over worry, we must focus on eternal matters instead of temporary ones. Verse 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't there more to life than food and more to the body than clothing? So therefore, points back to verses 19 through 24. Bill spoke a couple weeks and we learned that therefore is there to cause us to ask why it's therefore. And so in verses 19 through 24, Christ calls the disciples to store up treasures in heaven instead of earth. He then describes how wealth can spiritually blind and master us. Christ calls believers to focus on eternal matters 
like riches in heaven instead of focusing on temporary matters like wealth or our basic needs. In verse 25, he says, Isn't there more to life than food and more to the body than clothing? When believers live only for food and clothes, life becomes all about serving our physical bodies. Really, that's what most of advertising is all about. Eat this, wear that, watch this. It's all about making ourselves become more attractive, more comfortable, and more entertained. And so Christ later says the pagans worry about these things. Their primary concerns are temporal matters, not eternal ones. And they live in a constant rat race to fulfill those desires. However, as believers, we are citizens, not only of this earth, but of heaven. Therefore, we must be primarily concerned about the affairs of heaven, even as we abide on earth. Christ emphasizes this in Matthew 6, verse 33, when he says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And so to overcome worry, we must focus on eternal matters, like becoming holy and seeing others come to know Christ as their personal Savior, growing and building God's kingdom. In Colossians 3, verse 1 through 4, it says, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Keep thinking about things above, not things on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you too will be revealed in glory with Him. Often the way you conquer a passion is by focusing on a greater passion. To focus on earthly matters like riches and basic needs will always breed worry and anxiety. Focusing on eternal matters delivers us from those worries and brings us closer to God's peace. Um, Tucker was sharing earlier about uh, camp, and they're they're going to camp next week. Um, And camp has a special place in my heart. It's where I where I first really encountered God and where I began to grow in my faith. Um, while I was at camp, I worked at a camp for about 10 years. Um, it impacted me so much, I decided, why not work there? And one of the things that we found out at camp was that when a camper comes to camp, while they are at camp for the week, they are experiencing a godly environment, and the Word of God for something that equates to almost 52 weeks of being in church in one week. And so they had that opportunity to be surrounded by like-minded people, not distracted by anything else, not distracted by their cell phones, not distracted by TV, not distracted by anything else. And so what ends up happening is that they are now taken away from being distracted by the temporal things, but they're focused on what? The eternal. And so now they have to face that. And many decisions are made at camp, life-changing decisions. And that's where I made my life-changing decision, to, to serve God with all that I have. And so the first thing is that we find is we must focus on the eternal instead of the temporary. The second thing that we find 
is to obtain victory over worry, we must focus on our Father's providential care. In verse 26 and verses 28 through 30, we see it says, Look at the birds in the sky. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than they are? Why do you worry about clothing? Think about how the flowers of the field grow. They do not work or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his glory was clothed like one of these. And if this is how God clothes the wild grass, which is here today and and gone tomorrow, is tossed into the fire to heat the oven, won't he clothe you even more, you people of little faith? And so Christ gives us three examples of God's care in order to encourage us to not to worry, but instead trust God. He says, look at the birds of the sky, how God feeds them. Look at the flowers of the field, how they grow. Their clothes are better than that of Solomon. We can discern this with the naked eye as we consider their rich colors and their designs. And even more so, if we stop and look more intently and closely to them, we see even greater things. God also provides for the grass, even though its lifespan is short. When Christ says the grass is thrown into the fire to heat the oven, he's referring to how the ancients would grab dead grass and flowers and use them for fuel to further heat up their clay ovens. And so all these things that seem like temporary things for us, God cares about greatly. Interestingly, Christ talks about how God feeds the birds and clothes the flowers and grass, and yet we know these things happen by quote-unquote natural processes. This reflects the doctrine of God's providence. This means God is not like a watchmaker who creates a watch with the mechanisms inside and simply allows it to run all on its own, apart from the maker's intervention. God is intricately involved in every aspect of its creation. Scripture says Christ sustains all things by his word. Everything is totally dependent upon God. He gives man life, breath, and everything else. Even our moment-by-moment breaths cannot happen apart from God's grace. Therefore, though birds gather their food, God is involved in their hunt for it. God is involved in the intricate processes of the flowers blooming and grass gaining its color. Nothing happens apart from God in this world. It all happens in such a way that one would stand back and say, God did that. The action of the birds to feed themselves reminds us that we are still responsible to work in order to provide for ourselves and others. Paul said that a person that works doesn't work shouldn't eat. Christ commands to, to not worry should not create laziness or complacency in us. We should work and work hard as unto the Lord. Colossians verse three, I mean chapter three verse twenty-three. However. Christ's teaching should create trust as we understand God's sovereign care for us. Certainly, this is one of the reasons we often struggle with fear. We think God has left us and we must survive on our own. We may not actually think that most times, but our thoughts and actions imply it. When we live and act out fear and worry, So if we are going to overcome worry, we must focus on God's providential care for us. 
The third thing that we come across uh, in our, as principle in this chapter is we must recognize our great value to God. So the first thing was we must focus on the eternal instead of the temporary. Secondly, we saw that we must focus on the Father's providential care. Thirdly, we must recognize our great value to God. In verse 26, we see, Look at the birds in the sky. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than they? It must be noticed that Christ doesn't say the bird's father. He says the disciple's father feeds them. Christ then says, aren't you more valuable than they are? Birds are not made in the image of God, nor being created in his image, as we see in 2 Corinthians. They are not sons and daughters of God, co-heirs with Christ. God made... God made man his chief in creation, in the recreation which happens at the new birth. He makes us one with Christ and indwells us. We are certainly more valuable than birds, flowers, and grass. How much more will God make sure that you have all that you need? He doesn't promise us our wants. Sometimes we worry because we lack our wants. God promises to provide our needs. So therefore, a great amount of our worry happens because we don't understand our immense value to God. Romans 8, verses 31 and 32 says, What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Indeed, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all these things? And so if God gave his best for us, his son, how will he not also provide everything else that we need? We are of supreme value to God. God gave it all for us. And so two things that we can look at or use or really focus on um, as we grow in our understanding of our value. And the first thing is we must constantly study scripture to know our value. We must learn everything that God says about us and everything that he promises to us. We must internalize these truths. The more we do this, the more we'll overcome our worry and anxiety. Constantly studying God's word is especially important because the world always tells us something different. The world tells us that we are an accident with no purpose. The world tells us that we need degrees, position, money, and beauty to have value. But God says, you are everything to me. I gave it all for you. We must constantly hear and accept his voice to overcome worry. The second thing that we can do as we grow in our understanding um, of our value is we must constantly pray to understand our value. In Ephesians 1, verse 18, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you to the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. He petitions for the Ephesians to know the riches of God's inheritance and his people. He doesn't pray for them to know their inheritance in God, but believers as God's inheritance. To God, we are his reward. We are his joy and we are his passion. We are special to him. 
Since Paul prays for the Ephesians to know this, it means that they didn't know it as they should, and prayer was a means to grow in that knowledge. Therefore, we must constantly pray to know it as well. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Our God enjoys us so much, He sings over us and wants to quiet our fears with His love. We must continue to grow in understanding this reality to overcome our fear. No, No doubt, this is the reason that Satan constantly attacks God's character. He wanted Eve and Job to think God was untrustworthy and evil and therefore curse God to his face. If Satan can get us to doubt God's character and our value to him, he can consume us with doubt, suspicion, fear, and depression, all to our own detriment. Do you know your great value to God? You're his beloved child. So, so far we've seen that we must focus on the eternal instead of the temporary. We must focus on the Father's providential care. We must recognize our great value to God. And the fourth thing is we must recognize how unproductive it is. Verse 27, Christ says, And which of you by worrying can add even one hour to his life? Christ says worry will not make us live longer. You can worry yourself to death but not to life. Dr. Mayo of the famous Mayo Clinic wrote, Worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, and the whole nervous system. I have never met a man or known a man to die of overwork, but I have known a lot who have died of worry. Worry does not benefit us physically, mentally, or spiritually. Proverbs says, Anxiety of the heart of a man brings depression. Typically, we start to worry about something and it affects our entire mood. And more often than not, as it affects our mood, it affects the moods of others. Next, we find ourselves down and discouraged. Worry also negatively affects us spiritually. In Matthew 13, 22, in the parable of the sower, Christ describes the seed sown upon thorny ground as the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth Choke the word, making it unfruitful. When we are constantly worrying, it hinders our ability to receive God's word and apply it to our lives. Worry stunts our spiritual growth. And this makes perfect sense. If the Bible is God's word for us as it contains his teaching about our value to him, his providence over our lives and promises to us, and yet we still live in worry, then essentially we're calling God a liar. How can God's word profit us if we don't believe him? How can anybody's words profit us if we don't trust what they are saying to us? If every word is received with suspicion, then we won't make plans based on what they are saying. And in the same way, to worry is to say that God and his word are untrustworthy and therefore scripture will not profit us. It should be noted that life can also be translated height or stature. 
Uh, for example, Zacchaeus was little in stature. Since the word for hour is a unit of measurement, some versions translate this, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit upon his stature? As in the King James. Worrying won't increase your life or your height. It is illogical, unproductive, and harmful. The fifth thing we see to obtain victory over worry is we must pursue God's promises. Verses 31 through 33, it says, So then don't worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the unconverted pursue these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But above all, pursue his kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Some have counted over 3,000 promises in Scripture. And Matthew 6.33 is one of the greatest. Christ promises his disciples that if they made God's kingdom and his righteousness their chief priority, that all their needs would be met. The word pursue is a present imperative, meaning that this must be one of one's unceasing quest, not an occasional endeavor. We must constantly be pursuing God's kingdom and his righteousness. When God's kingdom and righteousness are our priority, God meets our needs, which ultimately delivers us from fear and worry. So what does God's kingdom and righteousness refer to? There's a considerable overlap with both of these concepts, so we shouldn't be too dogmatic about the specifics. And with that said, the kingdom is a place of God's reign. Therefore, every time a person comes to know Christ, they become part of the kingdom. Christians must... <clears throat> must make it a priority and primary endeavor to share Christ wherever they are, whether at work, church, home, or abroad. They must constantly pray for people to know Christ and take advantage of opportunities to share Him with others. They must take their life, make their life attractive by being righteous and not living a compromised life, which just pushes people away. When Christians live like the world, the world doesn't understand why they need to follow Christ. Seeking first God's righteousness also includes the conquering of sin in our lives and replacing it with righteous acts and attitudes. We must pursue the fruits of the Spirit. We must pursue righteousness by serving and disciplining other believers. But it also includes social justice. Pursuing God's righteousness outside of the walls of the church. Believers should feed the poor, fight for the rights of the unborn, the trafficked, and neglected. Believers must pursue righteous ethics in education, government, and our communities. As this happens, others are drawn to Christ and to his kingdom. When we pursue God's kingdom and his righteousness, God meets our needs which implies the opposite of this promise is also true. When we don't pursue his kingdom, but instead neglect God and enjoy the world and the sin that comes with it, we will often lack. As in the parable of the prodigal son, God often allows his wayward children to go away from him, enjoy sin, and reap the consequences. He allows them to experience lack until they come to their senses and return home. With Israel in the New Old Testament, when they neglected tithing, 
practicing the Sabbath, caring for the poor, God allowed famine and other calamities to turn them back to their priority, God's kingdom and His righteousness. So how often does that happen to us individually, corporately as a church, or nationally as a nation? This is part of the reason we must continue to pursue God's kingdom. As believers are consumed with the greatest concern, God blesses them. With that said, there are many other promises given in Scripture that will help us overcome worry. In Philippians 4, 6-7, through 7, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything. Instead, in every situation, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, tell your requests to God. And the peace, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. If we pray in every situation, if we bring our petitions before God in every situation, and if we give thanks in every situation, God will give us His peace. Worrying often overwhelms us because we are not people of prayer. People who constantly pray in every situation. We pray only when things are bad and not when they are good. Or we pray when things are good and get mad at God when they are bad. Or we don't pray at all. This type of person will lack peace. Sometimes we lack peace because we fail to bring our petitions before the Lord. We don't ask for peace. We don't ask for reconciliation in a difficult relationship. In addition, we don't give thanks in all things. Instead, we complain, we worry, we get angry, we grumble. We can't receive God's promise of peace in those kind of situations. We see yet another promise in Isaiah 26, verse 3. It says, God says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. If we're going to have peace when life is bad, we must make it our aim to keep our minds on God. We have to get rid of the ungodly ungodly things in our lives. If we put nothing but God in our hearts and minds through worship, prayer, fellowshipping, and serving, we'll find our worries dissipate. So the question is, are you pursuing God's promise, promises? This is part of how we conquer worry. And lastly, number six, to obtain victory over worry, we must focus on God's grace for today. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, he says, So then, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Today has enough trouble of its own. And it must be noted that Christ says today we'll have trouble. The fact that Christ calls us not to worry is based on the fact that believers are exempt from hardship. We have no such promise. In this world, we will have trouble and suffering. We live in a sinful world. We, live, uh, we will hurt people and they will hurt us. Because of man's sin, God's curse is on creation. We experience earthquakes, flooding, drought, and other natural disasters. The curse affects our work. There is pain and toil in our daily labor, and it's often unfruitful. <clears throat> Though we work our hardest, oftentimes it does not come to fruition. Our work projects 
Our work projects give us mental stress and it often falls apart. Through pain and toil, we will provide for ourselves on this earth, as we see in Genesis 3. There will always be some trouble in the day and some days will have more than others. However, amidst the troubles, God promises to give us grace for today. Lamentations 3 Verse 22 and 23, he says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. They are new every morning. Every time you wake up, his mercies are new. Exactly what you need for that day. As we wake up and seek his face, grace is distributed. As Israel in the wilderness only received enough bread for the day, God often does the same with us. He often gives grace for the step that we are on, but not the next step. Only grace for today. So why does God only provide grace for today and not for tomorrow or the next year? The reason is because God desires us to be dependent on Him instead of independent. If He provided grace for the weak, we would neglect God till the next week. And if He provided grace for the year, we would neglect Him until the next year. All to our own detriment. God will always provide grace for, today, for the day. It is when we bear the burden of the next day, it is too much for us. George MacDonald said, No man ever sank under the burden of the day. It is when tomorrow's burden is added to the burden of today that the weight is more than a man can bear. Kent Hughes adds <clears throat> to that sentiment, worrying does not enable you to ex escape evil. It makes you unfit to cope with it. The truth is we always have the strength to bear the trouble when it comes, but we do not have the strength to bear worrying about it. If you add today's troubles to tomorrow's troubles, you give yourself an impossible burden. So how should we overcome our worries? Let's focus on today. Take advantage of the grace God gives you to be faithful today. You've got a trial in your family. Do your best to love them today. Let us not worry about how we will love them tomorrow. <clears throat> You've got a difficult boss that you can't stand. Honor and serve him today. Tomorrow, God's mercies are new. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. I'm thankful to God for that. So in conclusion, how do we obtain victory over worry? Six things. We must focus on eternal matters instead of temporary ones. We must focus on our Father's providential care. We must recognize our great value to God. We must recognize how unproductive worrying is. We must pursue God's promises. And lastly, we must focus on God's grace for today. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Father, thank you for all that you do for us. Father, we're, we're grateful that you are faithful. Father, even when we are not. Father, we're grateful that you provide grace even when Lord, we grumble and complain. Lord, we bring 
things upon ourselves, Lord, but you still in your mercy, Lord, help us through. Father, I thank you that each and every day, Lord, you provide everything that we need. Help us, Lord, to focus on you. Father, help us to see that you are already there. Father, that you've equipped us and given us exactly what we need to take care of the things that we are facing today. Father, help us to trust you. Help us to look to you in all those things. Father, thank you for your love and for your kindness. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.